Alright, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about the personality of the Holy Spirits, of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the fact that He is life. In Romans 8, 2, the Bible says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law brought death. The indwelling of, of the Holy Spirit brings life to us. And uh, we enjoy our time with Him. John 7, verse 38 and 39, Jesus promised them, He said, uh, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture says, from His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But of this He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when the Spirit comes, He gives us life abundantly. You know, there's no place for grumpy Christians. I mean, seriously. Paul wrote a book while he's in prison, and the whole theme of the book is rejoice. Philippians, the whole book. Rejoice, and again I say, rejoice, even in the worst of circumstances. So, uh, there's no, and, and then he has a section in there in chapter 2. We're not to complain or murmur. We're to be lights. And who wants to be around a down and out or a complainer and murmur all the time? I don't. I don't know about you, but I don't have, I limit my time with them. Because the world's bad enough without having some professing Christian complain all the time. I'm, we might as well tell it like it is, right? Who wants to see a grump? And you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and uh, you know the Word of God, that God's going to work all things out for good, so why complain? He'll take care of you, right? said, I will supply all your needs according to uh, my riches in Christ Jesus. So I have to remember that too. There are times when I don't get up on the wrong side of bed as well. Need to get it straightened out. Second Corinthians three three, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the Living God. Not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. All right, the Holy Spirit is also intelligent. This is where we pick it up this morning as we look at His personality and attributes. He's intelligent. God the Holy Spirit knows all past, present, and future, plus the smallest detail of our life. I didn't put this passage in, but uh, Psalm 139, if you read it, I know when you sit down, I know when you rise up. Uh, you can't go anywhere but where, what, what I don't know. And the Holy Spirit when you get the New Testament, is kind of in charge of that. He knows you how many strokes you brush your teeth. He knows everything about you from beginning to end. Nothing he doesn't know about you or me. Take a look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 11, and Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? 
Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Okay. You and I can understand when something happens or a temptation comes or how people feel in certain ways when things uh, are good or bad. We know that because we know the spirit of men. And, and you can take this male and female. When somebody comes and talks to you, you can say, yes, I understand, I, I, even though I may not specifically be going through that particular issue at that particular time. But just the fact that I'm a human being, I know I can understand somewhat. Well, here we have the Holy Spirit who knows the mind of God. He is God. And He knows the Spirit of God and how God thinks about this and this specific incident. And He reveals that to us. <coughs> Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. We don't know always how to pray. I think of the old days when we farmed and people had hay. Uh, and he would mow his hay and he'd pray it wouldn't rain. And the guy right across the fence line from him would pray that it would rain. He needed rain for his crops. And both are believers. How does God answer that prayer? You're praying one way and they're praying another way. Well, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and it says to us that he's, He knows our prayers. And He knows the mind of God. And He intercedes for us in groanings that cannot be understood. We don't understand what He's saying. And that's not our groanings in prayer. That's His groanings. That's His language to God the Father. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to pray correctly. You may pray one way, but really what's best for you is another way. And your intentions and your, your purpose and your goal is correct. And the Holy Spirit just interprets it to the will of God, which is far better than our will anyway. And uh, things work out that way. And many times, uh, I think, if you look back over your Christian life, don't you uh, see how God worked? You get away from it. You say, man, I prayed this way and it was worked out this way. God knew what I needed all the time. And sometimes you don't see that. Maybe even six months to years later, you see how God directed you and me. He has purpose as well, and uh, He has purpose and plans. Take a look at uh, Isaiah 11, verse 2, and 1 Corinthians, I think we read that. No, we didn't. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 11, and Isaiah 11, 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Holy Spirit aided him in the incarnation. When he's a man, totally uh, guided him in every way. Gave him the Spirit of counsel, strength, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And in a... Uh, in a way, he does that for us too. Any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. It's the Holy Spirit that will reveal the wisdom to you. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you strength. 
and uh, understanding in what's going on. How about 1 Corinthians 12:11? Uh, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, and portions to each one individually as He wills. Okay, the one and same Spirit distributes the spiritual gifts in the church, the body of Christ. And we'll talk about these gifts specifically as we get closer in that area. But it's everything from teaching to serving to administrating to helping. There's several kinds of gifts. God gives every believer a gift, not a talent. But at the moment of faith, you receive a special gift from the Holy Spirit, maybe two or more, but you receive a gift from the Holy Spirit which enables you and me to help the body of Christ in some way. And you may or may not know it immediately, but generally it'd be in the way, area in which you like to do. Um, I've asked young men, well, what would you like to do if you could do anything in the church? They said, I'd like to teach children. That's something, that I, that's not my gift. For me to teach a group of first graders would be like, standing in front of a firing squad and shooting. But, but some, guys, some guys are good at this. We had a guy at Mission Road, man, that guy was good at it. I mean, he ran the children's department and kids loved him. And he was not, he was hard on And But they loved him and he had that special gift of teaching the children. They just could hardly wait to get in his department. He was a dentist, and, and he was a hunter, and he was a man of man's, but man of men. But he, uh, children loved him. In your notes, you'll notice I have activity, and I have verses by it. I don't think we'll look up every one, but just note that he speaks. Holy Spirit speaks. He intercedes. He prays for us, as we saw in Romans. He commands. He tells people to go to the mission field or where to go. For the apostles, he directs you as well in various ways. He teaches, he testifies, he gives witness, and he reproves. So the Holy Spirit has activity. He's not just a, an influence, as some people think. He is an actual person. Furthermore, he grants liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17 and 1 Corinthians 12.11, which we've already read. We won't read that again. But how about 2 Corinthians uh, 3.17? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, He grants liberty. We're not under law, correct? We're not under the Ten Commandments. So uh, when we listen to the Spirit of God, He prompts in us to do the will of God, which would not be a violation of the Ten Commandments. But one commandment, the fourth commandment, thou shalt not remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, is, is not applicable to us. Yes, Ron? Um, on that, I remember going through this chapter and I was teaching, Jerry uh, Rag wrote a really good journal on that, if you remember the... I think it was like 12 points. Uh, it, was, it was called like the 12 points of uh, liberty in matters of conscience. Um, excellent on how the individual um, can apply wisdom as to how, the, how does my liberty 
um, work in the body and, uh -huh. and would it interfere with another man's liberty or or would it encourage um, going back to that earlier passage that, that you know the spirit works for the common good of the body you know love is uh, is the motivation of this age yeah love is the fulfilling of the law and that's the second table of the law you wouldn't lie to a person you love and you wouldn't commit adultery against somebody you really love and you wouldn't use the Lord's name in vain if you really love him. And you wouldn't covet what they had if you really loved, really loved these individuals. So in essence, love is a fulfilling of the law. Right? And uh, so all the Ten Commandments are, if you follow, if you walk in the Spirit, you will voluntarily, basically, fulfill all of the Ten Commandments, in essence, are real in process. It's not like I need the Ten Commandments nailed on the wall and i got to remind myself and force myself to live it. I have the liberty of the Spirit to do what I want to do, and what I want to do is please the Lord, and so it doesn't bother me at all. I don't feel like I'm under compression to do anything. I've had people say, oh, you're a minister, so you're really limited in what you can do. No, I do everything I want to do. You know, I don't particularly care to go to 99% of the movies. Bunch of garbage. Um, you know, I was raised, you couldn't go to movies and couldn't do anything. <coughs> couldn't play pool and all those kind of things. I can play pool. But there's some places I wouldn't want to play. Right? And so I have the liberty to do those things. Uh, and uh, I, can, uh, I grew up couldn't play cards, and I can play cards. It's that I don't bet on them. And if it's just for uh, uh, entertainment with some people for fellowship, why not? I'm not a big game player anyway, but I will then to do that for others they enjoy. So there's liberty. See what I mean? You have liberty. You can decide what you want to do as long as it isn't offensive to someone else. I can eat meat. I'm not a vegetarian. Uh, you know, this was a big issue in the New Testament, eating meat offered to idols. Remember that whole discussion? And Paul said, there's nothing wrong. An idol is nothing. I mean, what is an idol? But if you grew up in idolatry, and you were saved out of idolatry, it might be offense to you knowing that this uh, T-bone was dedicated to an uh, idol in the temple, in a, in a pagan temple, and it'd be offensive to you to eat that meat, then don't eat it. And if you're with that guy and he can't eat a T-bone, then order a chef's salad. But do something, you know, not to offend him, that's the idea. But if he's not around, eat all the T-bone you want. <laughs> Any questions on that? That's a liberty you have. And God gives you the liberty. If your conscience bothers you, uh, then don't do it. A conscience is not your guide. But the Bible tells you, once you're saved, don't ever go against your conscience. Or don't cause somebody else to go against their conscience. Because in essence, that conscience is the norm and standard of your life. That's what a conscience is. 
you can uh, steal uh, something out of a grocery store, <clears throat> nobody ever see you, and you walk out. But in the middle of the night, what happens? There's a little voice saying, you know, you stole something. And you can warp that conference by keep doing it, or you can uh, sharpen that conscience by correcting whatever is wrong. Yes, uh, Brian. Yeah, we went to Israel. There, you know, the kosher laws that said you can't eat pork and all this other. There's other ones involved with that, but you know, it, to be honest with you, the first thing I craved when I got back was bacon. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but they put those. In but they don't have pork barbecue, barbecue there, do they? No, they don't have pork barbecue. There. <laughs> it's yeah, fish and. <laughs> chicken. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of chicken, a lot of fish, beef. Uh, what's really interesting to me is when you take an elevator in a motel on a Sabbath, which is Saturday, and uh, it stops at every floor. Because to them, pushing a button is work. So the elevator goes up, stops at every floor, comes down, stops at every floor on the Sabbath. And they have minus one and minus two floors. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. And most of the people there aren't all that religious. There's a few, uh, you know, the uh, ultra-conservatives, a Jew. But a lot of the Jews in uh, Israel are non-religious. Yeah. You saw on the Sabbath, there was a lot of yeah. people who just had playgrounds and their kids were playing and, you know. Supposedly, there's more Jewish, more atheism in Israel than any other country in the world. It's because, I asked a guy, why is that? He said it's because of the Holocaust. Uh, God, they didn't feel like God came and rescued them. So uh, they turned against God. Also, uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, self-conscious. We've already looked at this verse. As He wills, He, has a, he knows He exists. It's one of the marks of uh, human beings and angels. We are self-conscious. We know we exist. You take a betta fish, put a mirror in your little fish bowl, and what does the betta fish think? There's another one. Your dog thinks the same thing. They're not self-conscious. I can, I could, we could take a picture of this class uh, a multitude picture of this class, and you could all identify yourself. Correct? If you can't, see me afterwards. <laughs> you may not like what you see, but it does. We get a picture from school, and I'd say, I don't like this picture. My dad encouraged me and say, that's the way you look. <laughs> Emotions. Look at uh, Romans 15.30. Emotions. 15.30. And Ephesians 4.30. And Isaiah 63.10. Let's start with Romans 15.30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Alright, the love of the Spirit. That's an emotion. <clears throat> He loves. And by the way, He loves as much as God loves, as much as the Son loves, the Holy Spirit loves. He loves you. 
How about 4.30, Ephesians? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right. Grieve the Holy Spirit. There are two sins that a Christian can, can commit against the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit in that you have sin in your life you're not willing to deal with. That grieves the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, and I should have put it in there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, quench not the Spirit. And that's not by not obeying the Spirit, when the Spirit prompts you to do something. And uh, the only way I can explain it is you have a strong, intense feeling you ought to be doing something. Maybe visiting somebody to encourage them and you just don't feel like it. And you put it off. Um, those kinds of things, and we're all guilty of that. Now that's quenching the Holy Spirit, not letting the Holy Spirit have His way in your life. Following the Holy Spirit brings joy. Brian. Yeah, there's a warning in that, and I'm struggling to remember chapter and verse, but the other side of that coin is you, at, over time you sear your conscience. Um, the same warning that the Holy Spirit gives that works with and appraises, you know, certain things, mm -hmm. uh, you can sear that. And, right. and, and then all of a sudden you're no longer alert to it. First Thessalonians 4, Is chapter it? 4. Right. Yeah, you can sear your conscience. Mm -hmm. I always liken it, my wife thinks I need a new illustration, <coughs> but I can't think of one. Uh, remember when, uh, way back when, when we didn't have cruise control, but they came out with a little dial, the old Buicks, and you could set this dial on your speedometer. Say you want to take a trip and you decide, I'm going to take this trip and I'm not going to drive over speed limit. So you set it on speed limit, and when, you hit, when, uh, when your speedometer dial hits that set, it goes beep, beep. Now you, can make, you have to make a decision at that point, right? The decision is either to back off and do what you intended to do, drive speed limit, or the temptation is to move it up five mile an hour. <laughs> and where did you find most of those dials? <laughs> Way over there. <laughs> and you can do that with your conscience. When your conscience hits you, you've got to make a decision. You're either going to follow it and back off, or you're gonna, your conscience should just move it over a tad so it doesn't hit you so much. If you really get tired of it, you go it off, and you, it, <coughs> that little conscience has nothing to do with your actions. We talk about people that are uh, consummate liars, who lie all the time. Compulsive. Uh, uh, yeah. They're, uh, what is that, the lie detector test is no good on it. But people can beat that because they lie all the time. But if you're sensitive to the truth and you tell a lie, even a little one, doesn't it bother your conscience? It does. And sometimes we do it to hide our tracks or we do it to exaggerate something and do of that nature and we get away and we say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Why did I say that? That's your conscience. And it's the Holy Spirit that enlightens and uh, sharpens that conscience. But you can go the other way too.
and uh, become a habitual liar. All right, so we have emotions. Look at Isaiah 63.10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. And is this Old or New Testament? This verse? Yeah. So he was operating then, right? Holy Spirit was grieved by the way Israel acted. The Holy Spirit and the Son. God the Son recognizes God the Spirit as a person. Jesus called the Spirit of God a comforter. The Greek paraclete. Or in English, advocate. Somebody who stands up for you. Helps you. Christ was the paraclete when he was there with the people. When he was with his disciples, he was their advocate. And when he left, he said, I'm going to send you another paraclete, and he will be with you and take the place of the presence of the Son of God. A person, not an influence. So we don't have Jesus walking around us every day, right? Anybody have him walking around you and seen him? Good. Uh, but we have what? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So wherever you go as a believer, you're a temple. Wherever you go, you take God, the Holy Spirit, with you. He's either grieved or quenched or he's happy. Which is it? He's with you wherever. And he will be how long? Forever. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have become a temple of the Holy Spirit forever. While you're on the work, it's a battle. You either, in Galatians 5, you're either walking with the Spirit or you're walking out of the Spirit. The Spirit desires to have you, the, lust, the desire of the Spirit and the lust of the flesh. It's a battle. And it's with you till the day you go to heaven. It's just a struggle. Uh, is it the spirit or is it the flesh? And uh, one good thing, the spirit doesn't always let the flesh have his way. And the closer you walk with the Lord, the stronger that becomes. And so you grow in your Christian faith. When the more obedient you become, as prompted by the Spirit of God. All right, the Holy, uh, we look at John 14, 16 to 17. John 14, 16 to 17. Pastor Rodman, yeah. before you go there to John, would you say that that struggle, um, flesh and spirit, is also what Paul describes in Romans 7, or would that be an unbelief? I think it's uh, Romans 7. Mm-hmm. You know, I, what I want to do, I don't do. Right. What I do want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Uh, I think that's the flesh and the, and your new nature battle. Okay. When you accepted Christ, you had a new desire. If you read Romans 7 carefully, there is no Holy Spirit in that chapter. It's chapter 8. It's chapter 8 where we have the Holy Spirit who aids our new nature in battling the flesh. 
so you have help. You're not left battling alone, as sometimes you think you are. It's the Holy Spirit who's prompting you uh, and encouraging you to overcome your old nature. But Romans 7, no Holy Spirit. Christian, but no Holy Spirit. He's trying to do it on his own. And it's just virtually impossible. So he gives up. And at the end of the chapter he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Chapter 8, you have the Spirit. And you can be victorious. Especially when you're really battling a fleshly habit and you really struggle in that. And I think we've all had our own little fleshly battles that we've had to battle. And constantly battle. Alright? Any other questions or comments? You find that to be true? <clears throat> Spirit grants us the victory. And, and in, in the first few verses of chapter 8, it says, you know, uh, he's the one who uh, prompts you to do what's right. <coughs> you may not have been doing something all at once. It hits you, hits you right smack and you say, yeah, I need to do this. Uh, I haven't been reading my Bible daily and all at once it hits you, you know, this is what I got to do. And you go and you establish a pattern of reading the Bible every day. That's, the, the Spirit doesn't discourage that, would you say? <laughs> the flesh does. I don't have time this morning. I don't have time tonight. I got so much going on. I'll skip today. Holy Spirit never says that. Nor does your new nature. Your new nature wants to know the Word. But the flesh just grabs on and says, you know, you're just too busy. This is not the right day. Well, maybe you got up too late. You could get up a few minutes early. Should I stop there? And let's move on? That's what I had to do. I mean, I didn't read the Bible every day and I felt guilty about it. And I'd read it at night and go to sleep in the middle of it. So I decided to go in the morning. And I wasn't particularly an early morning riser, but I've learned to be over the years just by getting up earlier. So before I come to church, before I get up, I got 6.30 morning Bible studies and I'm, in, I'm there at 6, so you know what time I got to get up to read in order to read my Bible. Because I'll tell you this, if I don't do it, it's not going to be done. Because I'll find every excuse avoid it. Prayer too. Holy Spirit doesn't say skip the prayer. And you don't have to pray for everybody in the world, but you surely can pray for your mom, your dad, your, your children. When people come to me and say, would you pray for little Johnny and Susie? My next question is, do you? You pray for them. I'll pray for them. I do. I know your children. I'm praying for them. But I'm doing it anyway, whether you ask me or not. But the point is, are you? Then let me put it down even a little more narrow. Now that we're 
treading on foot and I'm getting out of here for the next few days. Um, I'll put, I'll even get a little more personal. Are you dad and mom, husband and wife praying together in each other's presence for your family? That's important. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate 51 years of marriage. <clears throat> and we've done this, I think one or two nights we've skipped because we were hacked. But we decided that we're going to solve everything before we pray. Because it says uh, your prayers don't go anything if you're angry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not one who, believe it or not, I'm not one who likes to share my anger. I like to brood it. I like to add a few coals to it and make it nice and warm. <laughs> and then uh, blow it up. <laughs> my wife, it only takes one sentence to blow it up. There. And we, we don't know this, she knows this. And uh, I was not, I did grow up in a family where we shared our feelings. My dad would say, we're not talking about it anymore, and we should just was a close subject. And she grew up in a family where the blood spilt at the table. <laughs> and they all left happy because they worked it out. Not at our house. So I had to learn that. And I got so, people, and this is genuine testimony, I got so, I looked forward when something went askew during the day. I looked forward to at least a prayer time. Before we pray, we're going to solve this thing. And that's what's kept us for 51 years. And I'd say we've had a very happy marriage. That's just a side tip. Even if there isn't a God for sake of argument, that works. <clears throat> but there is a God. And it does change things. So who else, who else is more interested in your children than mom and dad? You. You can be as pious as you want. It's okay. But if you really love your children and you're a mom and dad, it forces you to sit down and pray for your children and say, you know, they're struggling. Maybe we can help them in this area. Maybe here's an area where we can encourage them. Well, here's an area that we just thank, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for our kids and how they're getting along. Really, you can save a lot of heartache. It's a lot of heartache if you just do that. Okay, that's my marriage tip for the day. How about the Holy Spirit in the Trinity? Take a look at... Uh, uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and Zechariah 4, 6. The Holy Spirit is associated with the Father and Son in such a way as to indicate personality. Take a look at Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, they're all equal joined by a coordinate uh, uh, conjunction, <clears throat> the and, which joins two uh, persons or things of equal value. How about 2 Corinthians 13, 14? 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. How about that? The grace of Christ, God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Enjoying Him. Zechariah 4.6, Old Testament. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, it's not how powerful things are. It's by the spirit that works. Then the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the material world. At creation, Genesis 1.1. And two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Uh, take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 32 in light of that, where you get the word moved. Deuteronomy 32:11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy were all written by Moses. So the vocabulary is very much the same. The Holy Spirit creates order in nature. Okay, Deuteronomy 32:11. For well, you know that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young. He spreads his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. Okay, here we have, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hoovers over the young. That's the word moved in Genesis 1-2. When God created the heaven and earth, it was all water. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. <coughs> And obviously he had a part in the rest of the creation as well. All order, I think we can say, all order in nature is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. It still fascinates me. You can take a little corn kernel, crush it in a smash, corn, use corn. Or you can take that same kernel and point it in the ground. Right temperature and moisture, that kernel uh, starts to grow. One act thing comes out and goes up, and another thing goes down and causes roots. At the right time, it sprouts in the air with silk and it tasses. Right? That's the order, right? It started out that way. God created it that way. Amazing when you stop and think of all these little order in nature. How that all works. And how God times all these things. He times that the deer and the, that family, they all mate in the fall and they all have their uh, young wind. Spring. And one of the more timing things is when you look at the bird kingdom. We have seagulls or t terns or whatever you want to call them that fly from the South Pole to the North Pole. 
and you take the Canadian geese, or especially the snow geese, as Todd Tyler was telling me, he's a big hunter of geese, that the geese fly to the north, and they've got so many days to lay their eggs, or it's too late. Or the hummingbird flies across the Gulf of Mexico, and that little bird uses energy like you wouldn't believe, but <clears throat> stores up enough energy to make it all the way across the, Me the uh, Gulf of Mexico without stopping. One time I was, uh, got to speak to uh, uh, Voss Lighting in Lincoln, and I sat at the table with the uh, CEO of, uh, oh what is it, they make Zenith and uh, Phillips. He, he lived in uh, Amsterdam. Um, Phillips' uh, company is a Brit, uh, Dutch company. And he was telling me that they had trouble. They put up these, these oil rigs in the North Sea, and they're lighted, and uh, the birds would come from northern Africa and fly straight to Iceland. And when there was lights on those platforms, they would land, and they didn't have enough energy to get up and go the rest of the trip. They died there. So Phillips developed a light with this bird that the bird can't see the light. So the birds go straight to Iceland. Now who designed that? In that little bird brain, who designed that particular thing? Or the swallows to come back to Capistrano. That just kind of happened out of nothing. Have you ever seen a pile of rock develop into anything? <laughs> or an explosion really create a building? In a big bang? The worst thing that can happen is a big explosion. Everything falls to smithereens. We have a God of order. Wow. Look how he's designed even the human body, even though it's under a curse. The ability to recuperate. I had a friend, Chad, who was a pediatrician, and I said, Chad, why? he was a great big guy, and I said, Chad, why did, you, why did you become a pediatrician? He said, no matter what you do to kids, I get better. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, look at the natural processes. They're destructive processes, Isaiah 40, verse 7, and renewal processes, Psalm 104, 29 to 30. Look at Isaiah 40. Verse 7. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The word breath is spirit in the original. When the spirit blows on it, it dies. We've all seen that in the breast. How about Psalm 104, verse 29 to 30? There's a great section here. Psalm 104, 29 to 30. You hide your face, they are all dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Without snow on the ground, this is a pretty bleak looking area this time of year, right? But if you wait a month, what's going to happen? It's going to turn green. 
right? It's going to be beautiful. Flowers are blue. The breath of the Spirit can kill all the grass like he does in the Mojave Desert, the wilderness of Judah overnight. But it rains, and immediately everything comes up and, and, and uh, seeds. Seeds that can lay there. I was in the museum of, in Cairo, Egypt. They took grass from King Tut's, seeds from King Tut's tomb. 3,000 years they estimate that this grass had been in this tomb. Planted a handful of it and 60% of it came up. Life in that dead seed. Alright, this is one I love. Job 26, 13 to 14. By his spirit he endures the heavens, his hands pierce the fleeing serpent. Indeed there are the mere edges of his ways, and how shall a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power who can understand. Okay. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the artist of nature. Have you seen a Nebraska sunset? Sure you have. You seen a Nebraska sunrise? If you took that sunrise or sunset and you did it in, uh, in, in pictures, what do you call it, where you delay it? Uh, slow it down. Yeah, what would you see? Every color of the rainbow. Holy Spirit takes his brush. A few seconds later. And he keeps doing it. And we live in a cursed world. And I, uh, I enjoy beautiful scenery, the mountain scenery, the ocean scenery. I enjoy the scenery around here. I just enjoy God's beauty. Man has messed it up terribly. There are places you go and it's ugly, terrible. But look what God can do with a cursed earth. And how beautiful he can make it. Can you imagine when the earth is regenerated in his kingdom, how beautiful this earth will be as he intended it to be. And when he's done with that, and he puts us in his new heaven and new earth, even more beautiful, Rod, even down around the Dead Sea, it's got a beauty of its own. Yeah. Even though it's sparse, it's still got a certain beauty to it. That's a sea where not even a protozoa lives. Yeah. You want to go swimming there? You can go swimming there. You won't float. I mean, you will float. You won't go under. But if you have a scratch or a sore, you'll know it. <laughs> You're dismissed.